Welcome to another edition of What's New in Wagyu. Again, it's Stephen, and today I have a special guest. And today, Edward decided that we needed to bring some people in that had some industry experience selling some F1 product and some full blood product. And I brought you today, Barbara. Hello. Nice to be here, Stephen. Sweet. Um, Like every other week, we're going to start off with a cattle report real quick. And then we're going to get into some fun questions with Barbara to make sure everything's going to move in a timely manner. Nobody likes really long podcasts. Um, That's kind of the problem sometimes as you get into long form. But um, today's kind of a weird day. Top 90s hit 246. I saw some $4 calves go in Oklahoma today, which kind of worries me a little bit about the long-term future market just being... The fact that we have so many animals that are going for such a high price, I'm trying to figure out how feedlots are going to make it work over the next 10 months. Steer prices on live weight finished steers went up to 250. Um, Live cattle, which is weird to me, is 243, which should never be that. Uh, We all know that hamburger cows should not cost 243, but that's where they're at today, and I'm not really sure why. Um, maybe due to scarcity or need, who, who knows? The weirdest one to me is stalkers are down to 246. They've been around 260, but eh, they'll come back up. They, they usually do. Uh, everybody still has a ton of, ton of grass on the ground right now in the Midwest states. So you'll probably see those float down another five cents before you run into problems. And as always, heifers are leading the back of the pack at, at 237. But we all knew that was going to happen. Uh, heifers were real expensive early on in the day and have kind of fallen off from there. So to Barbara. So Barbara, here's my question for you today. Let's start her out. Um, can you introduce your business and kind of give people a little bit of background on what you do? Of course. So I am a licensed livestock dealer here in Idaho, and I opened up a brokerage. I named it Summerhill Local Meats. And what I do is I sell for local ranchers And I have them processed at uh, two of the best butchers, I think, in southeast Idaho, and that would be Graze and Grind and Woodcock Custom Meats. And uh, I bring Wagyu through Western Elite, and I bring F1 to the public, and I bring Black Angus, um, grass-finished and grain-finished. And that's what I like to do. So the cool thing is, is uh, one of the guys I went to high school with owns the butcher shop up the road. Um, me and Adam have probably been friends longer than like kindergarten. So it's kind of fun because I go up there and hang out and then I can't ever get him to come south of Idle Falls like more, most people from the Upper Valley. He, there's like an imaginary line in Idle Falls that they never cross. <laughs> but um, it is what it is. That's been kind of an interesting take on all of all of that. Like there's a lot of processors in our area, but I don't know if a lot of them have strived to kind of keep up or maintain a level of quality that, that a lot of people desire. So, um, how's you, how do you market your, your business overall? Like, is it, um, word of mouth more or online presence kind of give them an example of a little bit how you guys market. Um, it started with me since I've doing, been doing this about five years. It started all word of mouth and with friends but uh, this year, I've really pushed online presence. So I have a Facebook page, and I also have a website. And I've started paying with marketing on Facebook, and uh, I'm going to be pushing it more online with my website, too. So people can find me there at SummerhillLocalMeats.com, and also on my Facebook page, same name, Summerhill Local Meats. Um, and they can contact me, and I always reach out to my suppliers to see what I have available. And... Nothing is ever purchased pre-boxed. All my cattle are alive, and everybody gets full cutting preferences with my butchers, um, and that's the benefit. Uh, cattle are always walking on the earth before we give the order to kill them. That's a big advantage to a lot of people because a lot there's a lot of folks that get stuff bought, um, especially in our area, when they purchase things, they've already been processed, and now they're trying to piecemeal things to people, and that's... I don't. Know, I feel like that's a disadvantage to the to the person who's purchasing it because what if there's things in there that you don't necessarily want? Exactly. Uh, I do a lot of education with people. Some people have bought beefs before, but a lot of my customers are first time buyers, and I am educating them about how the cattle have been raised, how the wagyu have been raised, and the type of questions they're going to be asked by my butchers um, about how they they want their beef cut. And they are so excited to learn the whole process. 
they even want to know if they've been vaccinated or not. And of course, I teach them that it is the law with Idaho, but you know, that there's no growth hormones. There's no antibiotics that are forced on these animals. And they appreciate that. I even teach them what they've been fed and finished on. And you're not going to find another broker like me that has that knowledge because I have that access with my ranchers and my ragu masters. I can send them a text and I get an answer by the end of the day. So if I'm if I'm busy, sometimes she doesn't get one for a week, but it's, it just is what it yeah. is. Um, but, you know, and that's the benefit that I think that Barbara brings a lot of people is that um, if she has questions, she can come and hang out, like wander around, look at the cows, make sure everybody's maintaining a quality basis for her too. Like that's, that's a huge advantage. And, and her and Lane do a lot of stuff together and make sure that the, the customer's happy and make sure that everybody gets the things that they need. And that's another big advantage um, to doing it this way. Uh, there are a few differences um, that she's going to run that she'll, that she'll talk about um, in grass fed and, and grain finished. Um, that is a big uh, hot topic the problem with most Wagyu is, is good luck finding it that hasn't had grain in it. Just because mostly, well, Wagyu is not only a breed, it is the type of cattle, but it's also a finishing process. So I do know of a few people doing some grass-fed Wagyu full bloods, but it's not like, it's not a, a great thing. I'll tell you that right now. I think that the animals don't do as well, and they tend not to, they already take forever to get big so I couldn't imagine putting them on grass forever. Like they'd be like four years old before they were ready. No, and I don't. I don't have customers that are even considering that for Wagyu. It would only be for the Black Angus. So what's the number one reason people pick grass finished products? They are looking for it because they believe it's healthier, and I I would agree with them. Um, so they're looking for a leaner meat. Some of them prefer the taste of, right. of grass finished. There's pros and cons. Um, sometimes I get complaints because they find that it's tougher. Um, it's subjective. Yeah. Uh, you know, I believe that fat can be a natural tenderizer. So it just, it's going to be subjective to the customer. Um, so they're either coming to me for because they believe it's leaner or they prefer the taste. And, uh, and what's so, interesting to me with grass-fed is it reminds me a lot of venison. Like every time I've had it, like people who hunt, hunt like, like elk meat a lot seem to really like grass-fed animals, it seems like. Yeah. Um, now, I've had both. I've had a half beef of grass-fed from my best rancher that only raises grass-finished. And I don't believe it's gamey at all. Um, some people have feared that it would have a gamey taste. Um, it, it is not. It is just definitely leaner. Now... When I was in, when I used to live in Oklahoma, I did have a half beef that was grass fed, but I found out and it tasted horrible. But that rancher sold me a very old cow, and I oh. also learned that if you butcher an animal incorrectly, it can have a very bad taste. Oh, terrible! So terrible. <laughs> I just got a very bad animal, right? And it was processed wrong. And I've learned so much working with my butchers, like Grays and Grind and Woodcock, because I am in both shops often probably several times a month. And I have learned much, so much about the butchering process. I just marvel at what you guys do. So let's, let's move a little forward on sales and trends. So you've lived through the chaos of COVID, just like the rest of us. Mm -hmm. And we had this big, big influx of everyone wants cows and mm -hmm. their own animals. Has that maintained itself over the last couple months? No, it has slowed down. Do you, do you think it's due to people having an excess from before, or do you think it has more to do with the economy and the ability to, to have extra money to buy things? I think it's the second thing that you just said. I think the economy has slowed down. Inflation has gone up so much. There's not as much disposable money, and everybody's tightening down. Um, I don't believe that our costs have gone up. I have not really raised my costs. Uh, my margin is tight with my brokerage. Um, but... What I'm getting from people is, oh, I can't afford that. I can't afford a half beef. And I'm, I'm even starting to sell in quarters again right. where I wasn't doing that. I prefer to sell in half beefs, but to make it more affordable to my customers, I am selling in quarters. And they're like, okay, I'm going to see if I can make that work. I'm like, just, you can think about it with your tax return. Get that security in your freezer. 
You know, so you're not going to Costco and getting beef where you don't know where it comes from. You're not going to the grocery store and getting a mixture of um, dairy cow and bull because that's what you're getting with your ground beef. You're getting a whole bunch of animals that have gone, gone into a hopper and have been ground together. You just don't know what you're getting, you know. But I really think it's an economy standpoint right now. It's what we're seeing. You know, and I wondered that too myself with uh, interest rates and everything else. People are having a hard time to get anything anymore. Yep. The other business I have is I'm also a licensed mortgage broker. And I'm seeing that also with people not able to refinance their houses and also not able to buy the houses they want to buy. So they're staying in their homes that they're maybe outgrowing. You know, and that's that's a whole nother issue, you know, and, and as... As interest rates and and the economy fluctuates back and forth, it affects everybody. The weird part right now in the the cattle business, we're at the lowest inventory in almost 50 years. So now you have a finite product, but you're not necessarily always going to get more money for it because the economy is in such a place that you can't. Right. You know, that's, I've been wondering what most guys are going to do. A lot of my friends have been narrowing down their herds because cattle price is so good. And I often wonder if they'll ever get back to where they were 10 years ago going to be interesting it's going to be a, a wild ride mm-hmm. so you deal with angus and you deal with our f1 product mm-hmm. uh can you give the listeners some examples of um some benefits to going f1 product versus regular straight angus uh the f1 is blowing people away that are buying it because i only sell it for just about 55 cents more a pound hanging weight than i do my black angus and Comparable to what else is out there on the market that's marketed as American Wagyu, people are just blown away. It's what I just bought in my freezer. I just bought a half beef, and it's just phenomenal. Uh, it's not dripping in fat, but there is so much flavor. Well, and, and that's the big thing, and, and I try to explain to a lot of people, when you start playing the F1 game, you're not trying to pull out a um, high BMS 10 carcass that's not that's not the point Mm -mm. the point is to better the other breeds and bring a better carcass to the community or whoever you're trying to sell it to at a reasonable price right because all we're doing is changing the bull out the other stuff stays the same Mm -hmm. we're kind of weird we feed we feed everything like we feed wagyu so for us that's been an easy an easy conversion because we just run them on the same ration program Mm -hmm. and what i love about my f1 is it cuts like butter yeah, it, tenderness on those should be just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. So, and I hate to admit this, I don't eat any F one product. Um, I guess I never have, um, mainly because we've when we started running full bloods, we started killing full bloods. So, mm-hmm. I've never diverged into the F one product, and I probably should at some point. We did one, our very first one. Oh, Lane is in the background, and he he is correcting us. We did one about ten years ago. Wow, I forgot about that. Oh, I, I guess from 10 years on, we don't do any more. <laughs> What's, I, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's just we haven't done it. So, um, and, that, and, you know, and Lillian's here today. We're, we're actually in the butcher shop today. So that's why if it's a little like we, uh, I don't really care because we're in the butcher shop. I, I kind of wanted to do it here because I, th- I felt it was a great place to do it. So, um, so moving on nice, with. Nice and clean, Barbara. Always clean, always spotless and never a smell. Yeah, and that's and that's what we pride our our butcher shop on is is that you can come in and do a podcast. Yeah, like like we don't we don't have to really do a ton to clean it up enough to yeah step we're sitting in. at a cutting table. Yeah, yeah, you know, and yep. and earlier today they cut some animals, so it it's cleaned for the day, and we're ready to go, and they can come back to work on Monday and be in a happy clean clean place. Mm-hmm. We are starting our chaos season in about two weeks, so poor Lane will be really busy, and we'll probably actually do a lot of podcasts in here just because this is where I'll find him. So, um, so when, as you sell more and more F1 product, do you find that you sell less Angus product? Uh, now that you guys are really letting me push the F1, it's, it's taking off. You know, yes. and, and that's what I tell everybody. I go, once people convert to some Wagyu influence product that usually the regular product they've been buying, they just don't buy it anymore. Mm-hmm. And they're willing to pay a little more because it is a little bit different product. Yeah. The conversations I'm having with people is, is they're saying, I don't think we can resist the temptation. We're going to spring for the F1. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's, I think that the way you're marketing, it's the best way to market it. Nice and slow. Mm-hmm. Introduce people. So I, a lot of people, you know, me and Lane were at Abrolum's about a month ago and this guy comes up to us and is talking to us and goes, honey, this is our Wagyu dealer. <laughs> 
So I have been. I have it's a been, dirty habit. I, it is a bad <laughs> habit. And this guy buys some some straight full blood stuff from us, and I, it's like I told Lane, I go, "Wow, it's a bad deal when you're introduced as the dealer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a bad day." Like, and his wife, she's she's a. I, I know both of them, and the funny part is, is she smiles and she goes, "Thank you for making us poor." <laughs> <laughs> So, but yeah, it, it is one of those deals. Um, mm-hmm. So we've let you market a few of our, F- our full bloods. Mm-hmm. What, what was the hardest part about marketing full bloods? Like w- when we do it, I know that I have to have the perfect people to buy it. That's the hardest thing for me. That's what I'm finding too. Right. I'm having a, it's been a little challenging finding my target audience. Right. And what we always find our target audience seems to be is the celebrities that have moved in. Right. And the doctors. The doctors and the attorneys. Yep. And the good lawyers. Yep. That's what I just said. (laughs) The attorneys. Yeah. So uh, it has been challenging. And so far, that's what it's pretty much been for me. Right. Okay. Um, So it, it, I'm. I'm trying to tap it. it and I, and I'm, I, I, the reason I bring this up is that everybody assumes that I'm going to go buy a Wagyu and I'm going to breed them together and I'm going to sell an animal for meat. It's not easy, guys. Like, there is time and effort and a lot of dedication put into getting the product sold. Not, lo- not alone just getting it sold, but making sure that you can do it within a price range that people actually pay for. Right. And it takes time. How long have we been fostering this relationship, Barbara? A while. Yeah, it, oh, wow. know, t- everything in the Wagyu game takes time. And I tell people this, everything in this game takes time. And if you rush it, you're going to have a bad, you're going to have a train wreck. But the way I've got pricing right now, they can get a quarter for just about double of what I'm selling a half Angus for. Well, and, and I hate to tell you this, I was looking at your weights today on the F1s or whatever. Is that what they Marlene? F1s? No, this was Angus. Oh, this is Angus. Okay, so Lane, Lane killed an Angus. And we're looking at 600 pounds total, total carcass weight, give or take, right? Like it's not right on, but it's give or take. Mm-hmm. A quarter of Wagyu, our average carcass weight's about 1,200 pounds. So a quarter of Wagyu is almost as much as one of the halves that you have in there. So in reality, they're getting probably a pretty decent deal mm-hmm. if they thought about it as a, as a whole product. Correct. Because they're getting more meat than they would have off of a half. Correct. I, I just realized that when I was looking at your numbers today. See, that's the other fun, fun part. I'm not in the butcher shop a lot. Like, uh, I don't like this place. I'll be honest. I'll be the first to tell you that. Uh, I spend most of my life keeping these animals alive, and I don't like coming down to the place where they all go to die. It's just not my favorite place. So I stay out of here as much as possible unless Lane needs me for something. So it, for me, being down here, I probably should come down more and look at things like that because it makes sense to me a little more now. Mm-hmm. You know, we're selling a quarter full blood for the same price as a half of Angus. Yeah. I like poundage wise, almost pretty close. It's close. I've I've looked at the yeah. numbers myself, and so if I can break that down for customers, sometimes they're like, "Oh, you know." Mm-hmm. Yeah, it ma- it makes sense in the long run if you really look at it. Um, so with full blood product, the one thing that I kind of think's weird, and I, I guess this might help you with some educating in your clients, what people don't want out of a full blood animal. Like I very rarely see anybody take tongues. When's the last time somebody took a tongue, Lane? You, me, uh, oxtail. Oxtail's another one that always gets left. You, it always ends up here, and Lane brings it to me. That it, mm-hmm. nobody wants it, so we end up taking it home. But it's interesting to me that some of the cuts that most people don't think about with Wagyu, even F1s, are, I don't know. I think they should relook at them and take a, take a chance on it just, just because there's so much difference than there used to be, right? It's not going to be tough. It's not going to be weird. It's not going to have a funky texture like, like some of that stuff. We end up with Angus stuff and the dairy animal stuff. So I don't know. I think some of it, too, is a cultural a bias. Mm-hmm. Um, usually if we have, um, Hispanics in here, they take everything. Like they want everything. Mm-hmm. They, they want, want everything. Yep. Every single piece of stuff that we brought in that we could bring back. And, and that's what they want. They would take the head if they could. Yeah. If we would allow them to have the head, they'd mm-hmm. take them. Mm-hmm. Um, that is not done here. Uh, that stuff all stays where we can manage it. Mm-hmm. Um, not really a big fan of giving those out. You don't know how many requests I have at, oh. with my business for well, all the parts. I could only imagine. If we, if we did a full uh, 
Yeah, but I don't want to go to a bolt, a captive bolt. Yeah, windows don't set up for that. Right. Yeah. It just doesn't work for how we're set up today. Um, so, Barbara, here's my favorite time of the podcast, and because we're running in on 20 minutes. Okay. It is Barbara's time to get to ask me any of the weird questions that she's been pondering or wondering about Wagyu. Okay, so um, one of the things I get from my Joblo customers, and, and my Joblo customers make me, but they'll, I will show them pictures of the Wagyu cuts, you know, and we just, we just did some professional pictures that I'm yep. going to be uploading on my website, and they're beautiful. I showed a few of my customers this, and they go, oh, oh, it looks like so much fat. Let's talk about the difference with the fat and the Wagyu between the fat that we would see in an Angus. Okay, so all of that's based off of um, kind of two things. So com- commercial cattle or continental cattle, uh, anything coming out of Europe, has a fat melting point of about 130 degrees. That is the standard has been for a million years. Good Wagyu, and I'm going to preference it like that because there's a lot of breeding in the Wagyu game right now that doesn't allow for this. But if you have the right breeding and the right feeding regimen, you can get your fat melting points down to about 92 to 92 degrees. 92 to 95, I'd say, is pretty common for us. And once you've gotten into that, you're now a monounsaturated fat for one. We have now gone past the 100-degree melting point, which is saturated versus non-saturated, which is huge for people who have a heart condition. And, and think about this. So when we kill Wagyu, um, they look terrible for the first 20 hours. Like, mm-hmm. bad enough that I look at them, and I was disgusted the first time I saw it, and I walked away in anger. And we came back once the meat dropped below 90 degrees, and all the marbling comes out. So two things with that. Because it's a faster melting point, it's going to cook faster. But the other thing that it's going to do is is the fat in Wagyu is so different because of how it's made up with oleic acid and mono monounsaturated acids and things like that, that there's no way there's no way that it, it has the same texture or flavor as Angus. And that's the biggest thing out there. When we start talking about what it can do for the animal, think about it like this. When their fat is in a melted state, it's easier to uptake for their body. So when Wagyu were designed, they were designed as cart animals. Because the Japanese at the time were not eating any Wagyu at all, any meat at all, because they were Buddhists. Um, That allowed for a quicker uptake. And with the quicker uptake, it allowed for them to to be more more work-ridden for the day. Okay. Because it is a lower melting point, it's actually better for you. It has has more omega-3s, more um, oleic acids. But the biggest advantage you're going to have is that it's going to be tender. Okay. And, and we've, we've equivalated through, or we've been working with a land-grant institution for a year or two now, equivalating low-fat melting points with tenderness scores. Okay. So, and it works for all. Like, when we have F1s in here, we still do fat testing on F1s. Because I get interested, mm-hmm. and Lane will do them for me. And some of them are really good. Some of them we get down close to the 100-degree mark. I've never breached the 100-degree on F1s. But... We can get close, but some are still at 130 because of the other side of their genetic profile. Well, I've been in here when you, when you guys are cutting Wagyu, and, and I was warned, you know, the floor is very, very slick because yep. of the low melting point, and it sure was. So what you're saying, Stephen, is that that Wagyu is essentially not a heart attack on a plate. No, not at all. Okay. It's actually better for you than if you were going to go out and eat regular beef. That is exactly what I need to yep. be able to tell my customers. Yeah, and, and and there's a lot of research out there. I'll, I'll shoot you some over, too. There's a lot of research that's been done out of Japan and out of land grants um, here in this country and others where they've verified that the lower the melting point, the more tender they're going to get, but also the better it is for you. That's incredible. You know, and and, and again, you, you look at a, a, a group of people like the Japanese who live forever, right? Right. It's not because they abstain from everything. It's because they eat everything in moderation, and they also eat everything. Everything they eat is usually at a healthy basis. Right. So So it would make no sense for them to raise a high-fat animal just for... Oh, no. It was was an accident. Right. Yeah. This was... Wagyu is a sheer accident of them needing an animal to work all day Mm -hmm. and, and not being able to afford multiple animals. Okay. 
you know, and people, there's a lot of people in the industry, they get mad at me when I tell people that, but it's the truth. It, it was a fluke accident because they weren't eating meat. They had no clue. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until, you know, the early 1900s when we started bringing in meat to Japan and they got away from their Buddhist lifestyle that they started eating meat. And then they found out their cattle were great. So let's talk about the sheer difference in size between, let's say, a live Angus that could weigh mm, 14 to 1500 pounds live weight, which is a good, you know. Most Anguses are killed around 1200 pounds. That's kind of the Angus motto is 1,200 pounds. Like if you were going to take mm-hmm. the, the national average, mm-hmm. 1,200 pounds is kind of their target goal. Okay. I um, have killed some of my friends yeah. that, that have been heavier, uh, right. that have been heifers. However, yeah. what, where are your live weights on your... 1,800 to 2,000. That's okay. usually... Uh, I Which won't. is a massive animal. Oh, yeah. It's a huge animal. It's a massive animal. And, and, and it's tough on the equipment and it's tough on the people and it's tough mm-hmm. on everything. And it takes us probably... It'll take us about 45 minutes to take care of a, a regular 1,200-pound animal. Okay. It takes us almost two hours to get uh, from start to finish for, for Black Wagyu and Red Wagyu. Um, it takes about well, an hour and a half, probably. You mean just the kill process? Just the kill process. Just the kill process. And then, and then all day to yeah, cut. Yes. And that's where everybody doesn't understand. Uh, when we have a Wagyu day here, that's all we do. Yep. We'll do one Wagyu a day and be, and be out the door. Yep. But and if you're doing Angus, you can do... Three to four Three a day. Three to four a day. Yeah. It's just a different thing, too. Um, we vacuum pack everything. I think we're the only shop, and we've actually now gone I'm to vacuum. I'm sure you are. Well, and we've gone to vacuum packing uh, burger now, as of this week. Yes, I heard. Yeah, everything will be vacuum packed from here on out. Um, we, we were doing chubs, and they sufficed for what we were doing, and we finally got a crew that's in good enough, I don't know, been here long enough, that we felt comfortable with taking away the chub bag and going okay. back to full vacuum pack. Very nice. Yeah, Lane like went and got her some. I like it. Um, we're flattening it out so it stacks too. So the you Angus? can. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Flatten it out now so they can stack it. So it's going to be a little nicer for your clients. Excellent. Uh, we did find you can overload boxes with it though. Oh, I'm, I'm sure you couldn't. Because <laughs> you can put more now in one box. Right. Um, kind of a weird deal. The the other thing people have to remember, uh, you know. Most of my, all are, all of my full bloods are about 900 days on feed. So, okay. so I want people to think about how long that actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, is... we've spent better half of three years. Yeah. Yep. Three years. Yep. And with an Angus, our target weight, our target is really no more than two years. Um, most, really want yeah, 18 less. months, 18 yeah. months is kind of target for everybody. Mm-hmm. The F1s we roll out to almost two. That's why they're. If we can get them all the way fed, we roll them out twenty four months. That's mm-hmm. where I'd like to see all of them. We don't always get them there. Mm-hmm. A lot of times we kill them a little early or a lot early, but that's due to need. Usually, not my personal preference. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest about it. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes, well, sometimes you need somebody to have one, and I have to pick the best of what we have currently available. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's going to slow down. I think that we're going to always have that. I, I don't know how many times I'm going to get them to 24 months anymore. Right. <laughs> right. But, but again, and, you're, and then people just don't think about that too. Um, 24 months is a long time. So just a perspective point for new breeders. On average, from day one to day, I get paid is four years in about two weeks, give or take. That, that's just the reality of it. Because I have nine months in utero, 900 days on feed. That's where we're at. <laughs> and who develops the diet for the Wagyu? This guy's sitting across the table from me right here. I have a nutritionist that comes in. Mm-hmm. Uh, me and Jim go through... We go through what options there are. Um, the benefit I have, I have a fancy degree in animal science. Um, Jim started Snake River Farms' feeding program, and he was my... Mentor, school counselor, whatever they want to call the person's in charge of you in college. So that's kind of how it works. Um, so me and him discuss what we're going to do, and then I make a final ration determination and send it to him, and he balances it out for us. Because sometimes we can't get stuff. Sometimes we're short on, we, we get 20% barley versus 25% barley, or sometimes, so you have to have the ability to change your rations weekly if you need to. Jim's out once a month. Okay. For the overview. Um, but I, he calls me every week, about midweek, to see how things are going. But here's the thing. When you start feeding grains like barley and wheat, you can really hurt cattle. So don't 
please don't just go out and do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, like corn's safe. Corn, that's why everybody feeds it. It's hard to hurt a cow with corn. They probably can't consume enough to really hurt themselves. It's when you start putting in the other stuff, the distiller's grains and your barleys and your wheats is where you run into problems, your rolled oats, things like that. Um, I really hesitate telling people how much grain, like barley we feed, because I know that some people will go out and try it. Right. Um, We do grind everything too. So we are one of the few places that grind everything to a powdered state, more like a pig feed rather than a cattle feed. Okay. Uh, the reason we do that is we can feed less pounds per day of it and get the same nutritional value. Okay. Yeah. It's just kind of those weird little things you learn as time goes on. So probably my last question is, I've seen a local restaurant here marketing that they have purebred Wagyu on the menu. Can you talk to me about the difference between our full blood and pure blood Wagyu? So the cattle industry is, the Wagyu industry has now labeled... A few different things. So we have F1s with 50-50. You have F2s and 3s and F4s. And once you get past F4, you go into what's called purebred status. So that's anything. It, the American Wagyu Association will only let you do from 90 to 98%. And once you, you can never breed your way into a full blood. They have to always be a full blood. You can never breed up into one. The Australians have allowed 80% animals in. And a lot of the stuff that people are bringing in right now is Australian-based. Um, the, the business you talk of is bringing in Australian base because I, I saw the, the thing and what the label was. Um, so full blood means 100%. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. DNA verified. Most of them have pedigrees that go back 50 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them go back farther than that. If you really dig into it and you have some really good foundation, like Sugafuku, you can go back 100 years if you wanted. Um, but that's what the difference is now. There is a difference in palatability and taste. Okay. When you go to full blood, it's a weird combination of tenderness and buttery flavor and melt in your mouth. And they call it in Japan, umami. Like this, this extra sense, essentially, that they, they claim that there is in Japan. That it's another level of flavor. Um, when we eat Wagyu, uh, I very rarely do anything but put a little salt on it. That's it. Uh, we don't even season pans anymore. We just cook it on, on the grill or on the pan. Um, purebreds don't quite have that yet. Like, it's a good eating product. It's a good eating experience, but it's not quite that next level. Um, it's probably better than 90% of the stuff that they're going to ever have in a restaurant, minus going into derailed and C&J. Okay. Um, but it, it's probably, if you look at it, because they, they, won't, they won't bring it out to me. Like, I've eaten there a few times, and they won't bring it out and let me see it before they cook it. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming it's going to be pretty similar to a fully fed, like fully fed F1, because they know where it's coming from. Yeah, what's frustrating is the public sees pure blood, yep. and they just think or the term, that's the top. Or the, or the term American Wagyu. Yeah, but you know. they just get all excited and think that's the real deal because yeah. they have no knowledge. No knowledge. And and that's a problem for the industry. Yeah. The industry has not educated people well. And now that it's what the, pro- the problem we have now is, is now the cart has gotten in front of the horse right. and it's running down the road. Correct. And we're going to have to figure out a way to write this. And I'm not quite sure how it's going to happen, but I have a feeling that there's going to be some big changes in the next year or two that write some of this. And, and a lot of it's a labeling issue. Correct. Um, so right now we're kind of in the wild west, right? Right now we've kind of gone to the wild west away labeling, and and we have the only branded full blood program in the nation. Like it is branded. I went through the extra effort. Like it was it was a, a whole different level of labeling than anybody else has tried right now. Even Snake River Farms isn't running their own branded program. So it's it. So some people don't realize this. Certified Angus beef does not belong to the Angus Association. It is a third party certification system branded program so they're the ones that make the rules so we've essentially done that with our full blood label is that we can make it as extremely hard as possible to make sure that it's right like with our stuff i even still send out dna samples after kill to make sure that it verifies back to the paperwork that we say go with it Mm -hmm. so it's it's a whole nother level of production that most people don't want to deal with Mm -hmm. and i don't know how many people would would deal with it 
if that makes sense. Like, I don't know right. how a lot of other people who don't have the butcher shop, who don't have the feedlot, they can, I don't know how they could. Right. So, any other good questions for you today, Barbara? No, I think we covered everything we should. Sweet. So, now I'm going to let you go. And I've got some questions for Lane because something happened this week at the shop that me and him need to have a talk about on air. Uh oh. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. So somebody decided to go vacationing again. Uh-oh. And uh, we're going to have a conversation. I better run then. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I'll see you later, Barbara. Thank you, Stephen. Bye. So, Lane, we had an interesting experience with you being gone this week. I want to talk more about Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there. Okay. So Lane decided to abandon me this week and leave me in charge at the shop. Okay. And for some reason, his crew, some days, makes me wonder. How often did you have to just shut your eyes, decide I'm leaving the shop before I kill somebody, and... And just leave for a while. Well, I had to do a few things, but like the problem was, is that we had quite a bit of work to get done early in the week. And I realized something that Lane's been dealing with. Um, his crew's not the best at staying on task. I would have to agree with that. And some of it, I wonder if it's not that Lane's not using the whip on him enough. <laughs> Because uh, they stayed on task pretty well when I was here, right? But I had to run to a meeting. And I am astonished how quickly they devolve. Oh, like instantly. Like the minute I leave, I think they didn't get anything done from that point in time until I got back. Sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. So now, now down to the fun part. So we have this cool big saw that we, we, we resto modded, right? Big Bertha. Big saw. And the lowest man on the totem pole decided to tell me how to use the saw. <laughs> <laughs> well, we told him that you weren't supposed to ever use the saw. Yeah, because he's supposed to be having stuff, everything done. Well, anyway, so I needed to cut some knuckles, right? This dude is the scaredest I've ever seen around a saw. Like, he doesn't even have to be near it to be scared of it. <laughs> I did my job. You I did keep, your I job. keep him away from it. Right. But, but the interesting thing is to me is that they, they're getting ready to go into a pretty busy time of our year. And they've had a lot of time off. And they act like we haven't given them a day off. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? It's amazing to me. He is the oldest, tiredest, <laughs> 23-year-old I've ever met in my life. Yeah, and Lane's now in charge of buying him some suspenders. I was tasked with that today. Yeah, yeah. I was noticing some, some big issues in the shop when I walked in. Mainly, I don't think his pants were. There's no way they were holding up. I, I tried to figure out how they were staying on. But th the reality is, is in butcher shops... Um, most butcher shops aren't as lucky as we are. Like, if Lane needs to leave, I can come down and take care of the place for a day or two or a week. I don't think most butcher shops have that availability. I don't think they do. And Unless they've got a guy that's been there for a long time that they've trained to be basically the ramrod. Right. Control of the, giving them control of the butcher shop and you make them accountable for what gets done for the day. Well, and, and I don't think a lot of shops are like that, Lane. I don't think they are around here. Um, We're trying to get Daniel to that point. Right, right. And he's got a ways to go. But he's learning the basics, you know. Yeah. He kept up. He, had, he did what I asked him to do. We got things done. Like, it, it was a good deal. Yeah. Daniel's never the problem. He's never the bottleneck in here. Yeah. It's the rest of them. We went to something different today, this week, too. Uh, we're no longer using chub bags. We've gone to a full vacuum pack system. And I think that it went fairly well. It did. We had a little grumbling and stuff, but then we told them if you did your job right, we wouldn't have to go to this uh, scenario. Right. And, and the reality is, is like we talked about a few weeks back, sometimes they uh, lazily do their job, and then we get to deal with the aftermath. And hence, 
Yep. See-through vacuum pack bags for the ground beef and every I can, time. And, it, and they look good. Yeah, it looks really good. And I think that the customers are liking it or going to like it better. I do, too. The first group of them should be getting their meat this week. So we should, we'll see how it turns out. Yeah. So how do you like doing the podcast in the shop? There's a few things about it I don't like. You don't like the echo? Uh, the echo is not the problem. Um, I don't like the lighting. It's terrible. Yeah. Um, and I don't like uh, people coming in and out. We've had that a few times during the podcast today, but it, it's part of having an active butcher shop, right? Correct. So maybe I'll get a sign, stay the hell away. Oh, we... The good thing about it, we can stop, right. help the customer start again, but they do have that little bit of... Uh, Leniency. Yeah. You know, and and that's the other thing, guys. Um, your butcher shop guys are, they're probably working pretty hard with what they have to work with. The owners, at least. Oh, yeah, I'm... We have, we joke about it sometimes, but I, I think a lot of times... It's the truth. We get the guys that have tried their hand at carpentry and couldn't do that, and then tried their hand at sheetrocking and couldn't do that, and tried their hand at paint, cement work, and that was definitely too hard for them. They couldn't do that. And they kind of gravitate and, heck, you know, they probably, you know, got knife skills in the gang so they're pretty adept at those right no i'm not just kidding right, right but no but it's uh something that they can do and they can end up doing a pretty good job with them and they make decent money here and they and we treat them good right right and uh but it's you know it is kind of what it is but if you don't keep an eye on them all the time um they can go real lax on you. Oh, boy. We did a new configuration in the butcher shop. Um, Steve observed that when I don't hear really well. It's because he's old. And because I don't wear my hearing aids in here because the machinery just kills me. Yeah. Right? It's yep. worse than not having them. <laughs> but so my back gets turned, and I'm not seeing what's going on behind me. When I turn around, everybody's... Busy asses and elbows, right? <laughs> but what Lane didn't see is the 10 minutes that they were dicking off while his back was turned. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and the reason they were asses and elbows, they were trying to catch up from their, <laughs> from their playtime. So maybe, you know, <laughs> at least they know what they're supposed to be doing, right? Right. Whether they do it consistently is the whole other ballgame. So we pulled the, the one table over by the saw out away from the wall. So I, when I go back there and I'm working back there, I can uh, observe the whole, the whole. Uh, they sure didn't room like it when I, when Daniel was observing the whole cutting room. They sure didn't like it. <laughs> you know, and that's the thing, guys. I, um, I don't care who you are. There's always some adaption and evolution you're going to have to make within your management practices. It's it's a small part of it, but it's an important part. you know, nonetheless. And Lane's learning that. Lane's learning the hard way about some management skills that he never, he never exercised during his working career. The only person he had to ever managed was himself. And, and, and I had a hard time with that once in a while. And he had a hard time with that. So can you imagine him? Can you imagine him trying to make everybody else stay on task? So I asked Lane's wife one time how it's been managing him the last 40 years, and she said it's been a struggle. <laughs> That's all she said. There's nothing else. It's been a struggle. I'm a meat cutter. What do you expect? Yeah, yeah. So, Lane, looking back from when you were a meat cutter to today, has the quality of people changed? I think it has in the fact that used to be meat cutting used to be considered a very honorable essential trade trade and now um because your meat cutters they used to get the carcass from the packing house and they used to be do the breaking down they used to know all the cuts and everything else and they went to box beef and then if the stores found out hey all these guys need to know is how to cut 
a stake straight. They didn't need to pull top sirloin off the carcass. They didn't have to pull the New York out and cut all the button bowls out and make it look really nice. They didn't have to pull your, your rib out. They, heck, they even do you a bit boneless ribs now. Right. So all they have to do is cut in the stores, cut the steaks, tie the roast, stock the shelf. So there's they've taken a lot of that knowledge away from the end butcher. Well, the individual right. doesn't have the knowledge, and now it's spread across 10 guys. Yeah, and so then they have the big packing operations. So one, all, one, all a guy is doing all day long is taking the top sirloin out of the H-bowl. That's all he does. He doesn't know how to He'd be real good at rib. it, though. Yeah, he doesn't know how to attack the rib. He doesn't know how to attack the round. He doesn't know how to do anything. But he does that awful dang good. And everybody else has their specialty. And it goes into a box and goes to the butcher, and then they, they cut the steak. So as a trade, an overhaul trade, I don't think you can honestly call it a trade anymore. Well, minus your plants. You're like small ma and pa plants, right? Right, right. And so we're trying to teach these guys the old skills. And, uh, and because... People don't treat it as a trade. I think people who are looking for a trade don't gravitate. They go to carpentry first. Or any other trade, masonry or electrician or a plumber. And that's why we keep getting the ones we're getting. I think that's where we're at. Lane hired a kid about a year and a half ago, two years ago, right out of college from a meat cutting program that Lane went to. And it was a disaster. And I asked Lane one time why he thinks it doesn't it isn't working. And what would you say, Lane? It had something to do with him wanting to be in charge day one. Oh yeah, yeah. There's a guy that guys gets out of a a basic meat cutting school, and he knew more than anybody else else knew, and uh, and he didn't think we did things the right way, and he just left. And if he didn't want to do something. He just wouldn't do it. Right. And, uh, and he only lasted like two weeks. Yeah. Like that was the weird part to me. You went to school for this, homie. The work was too hard. And then he found out the work was too hard. Mm-hmm. Well, and this dude had gravitated from the postal industry, so he already had bad habits. <laughs> well, the other one we had. Um, Jacob. Jacob. Yep. That was way weird too, Right. Right. Yeah, and I think his mental health was his biggest problem. And the fact that he ate like 40 pounds of ham one day (laughs) and got sick. (laughs) Like like anytime we had a problem, it was always the day he worked. (laughs) Like we'd always go... We'd we'd go missing hams, we'd go missing bacon, so we... we, Shit. (laughs) We haven't had one problem no, since he's been gone. A lot, of, a lot of things cleaned up since he was gone. We'd have stuff disappearing from our freezer. and <laughs> uh, It got so bad we had to put a lock on the freezer, remember? Right, right, that's right. But that's the thing, right? Like your help's your biggest asset or your biggest liability. That's why when somebody goes to Reno for to play around for the weekend, I'm not very happy about it. Uh so Lane went on, went on vacation to a funeral. That's what he likes to do on his spare time. <laughs> that's, that's where you get your visiting done with the family. Yeah, me and funerals. Lane have been talking about this. So Lane goes to va- funerals to go have a party and hang out. He goes, sees people he hasn't seen, hangs out, has a good old time. And I'm sitting here going, Lane, you go in there and you leave. That's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> It's the truth. So, but no, that, that was really what I was going to have Lane talk about is his, 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 him being gone, came back, everything was good, but be, you need to be nice to your butcher shop guys, because, um, I don't think a lot of them have that option. And if you find guys are being mean to other guys in your butcher shop. Oh Yeah. 
get it stopped fast. Yeah, Lane Lane knows all about that. And the other problem you have is when your empl- older employees are telling your younger employees they can't have lunch. That, that kind of got... We just hired a young man from Venezuela. Yep. And he's very used to Venezuela customs. And, and siestas. And siestas. And lunch is very important to them. And I had that guy saying, well, we don't take lunch because we want to get out here faster than... <laughs> If we take a lunch, so you can't take a lunch. Yeah. And boy, it, it just escalated it quick. Exploded, didn't it? Oh, man. Really quick. So it only took me about a minute and a half to realize we had a problem. Yeah, but he spoke Spanish. And right. The rest of us do. Right. And, that's, and I knew there was some problem, but we just <laughs> couldn't get it communicated back and forth correctly. Right. right. And that's the big part, right? Communication's big, but. You know, that's one thing to look at, like, when you go visit a butcher shop, is to see how the guys work together. And they work pretty good together. Yeah, yeah they, they work yeah. good together. Every once in a while we have weird problems, but not usually to any, any permanently weird problems. No. But you have to pay attention all the time. You have to pay attention that the cuts are being cut right. You have to be, pay everything attention Everything goes in the right box. Everything goes in the right box. I have to pay attention that all the red comes off the bone and not in the bone barrel. Right. Right? Maybe that we get all the meat possible we can get. You have to pay attention to the packaging. Why aren't you using Bold Guard? I, I spend hundreds <laughs> of dollars a year so we can have Bone Guard. And why is this bone poking through the package? Because you didn't use Bone Guard. Right. You know, I mean, it's... It's impressive. But it's every day. Yeah. It's every day. And if you get a meat shop, if you're not doing those things every day, if you're not walking into the freezer and you're not looking at the packages after they've been frozen, if you're not looking at how your kid is putting packages in, you're just dumping them in or is he putting them in like he's supposed to? Right. He dumps them in, they're going to bang around and stuff, and they're going to lose my vacuum seal. Then they lose my vacuum seal and people call me and say, what's wrong with your vacuum seal? Oh, <laughs> you have quite a few. Well, a lot more than they should. Bring them back. Let us re- repackage them and resell them for you. But I mean, those are the, you don't want that. No. You don't want people to, you're, have happy to, come to back. you're happy to fix it for them. You just don't want them to come back because they don't have to come back. Right. You want them to see them next year with their next animal. Exactly. And what I tell these guys all the time, Steve, is our Job isn't done. The sale isn't done until they come and use us again. Right. Then that sale's done and we're beginning a new sale. Perfect. That, that's really what it should be. Yeah. If they're not, re- if we do not maintain our clientele as return customers, we'll shrink away and die. Well, yeah. You're we're watching the other shops in the Valley do it. So. It's like I told Lane, I go, you're going to fuck somebody's stuff up. It's just a matter of who it is and how it is and where it's going to be. That's the reality of it. It's, it's the truth. At some point, it, that's what you're going to do. And you just have to make sure that you make it right when it happens. It's just the reality. And Lane's over here laughing, but it's the truth. I know that I'm going to get a little bit in trouble with the old SCC over this, but I don't. At this point, I don't really care. Like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen, and that's what, and that's what happens. Yeah. But sometimes there's, you know, and there can be lots of different reasons for it. Right, hundred hundred different things to go wrong. I mean, we have a guy in here that's on death's door three quarters of the time. Right. We fully expect one day. Tiny will decease sitting there on his chair. Boning beef. Boning beef. Yeah. He'll just be asleep and people think he'll be asleep and he won't be. And he's going to be, he'll be, he'll be deceased. Yep. <laughs> that's, that's where he's going to die. Yeah. You know what? And I don't. Yeah. Either that or in his car out front door. Right. Yeah. Because he would rather come here feeling bad than be alone. Well, and, and for him, it's not about the money. It's about being somewhere that people like him and around him. Exactly. And that's, you know. And so if you can do that in your meat department, yeah. where people would rather be here 
than watching TV or play video games at home. You're doing a good job. You, you've got your problem outlet, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Tiny was one of Lane's first hires. He was. He has the longest time here. He has more time than Daniel. By two weeks. Yep. Yep. And 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 for perspective, folks, he was hired as a part-time night check-in guy. That Steve didn't want to hire. Right. At all. <laughs> and I still regret letting Lane do it to this day some days. Some days, but, but it's been a good hire. He has been a great hire. And he's here every day. And he's always on time-ish. He is. He's usually yeah. half so, an hour early. So I'm right? saying he, he's, yeah. he's here well before everyone else. He has more doctor's appointments than anybody else, but oh, that's okay. Right. Because they're legit. Well, and, and he schedules them appropriately. And he tells you about it beforehand. Yep. First of the week, he gives Layton the list of stuff he's going to, or he puts it on the calendar. Yeah. This morning we were talking about he's going to be gone the 10th, the 17th, and the 24th. He has three chemo yeah. sessions, right? Right. You know, so you want to make your butcher shop a place people want to be. You know, and that's that's the big thing. You want to be that place that people are like, hey, I want to take my stuff there. Yeah. And it's it's fun, right? Daniel brings his his boom box. Yep. And he puts it in the back room, closes the door half, and then shakes shakes Rest my feelings it. out. Yep. With whatever music he's playing. Whatever music he plays. And he plays a variety of what everybody likes, right? Yep. Sometimes. I've noticed a lot of eighties music's been going on since the Venezuelan guy got here. Yeah, and he likes that and some and, flamenco. Yeah. Uh, I, the guys got introduced to flamenco. That was interesting. <laughs> um, little rap. Little not, rap. Not terrible uh, rap. I, we, we have I, limits. I have a limit of 90s rap only. I tell it, Daniel that. Uh, 90s rap only. And I, and I bring it down to like four artists. <laughs> he sneaks and, a and couple it, extra in. But. And I'm a little more leaner, and I, I just tell him, let's watch the... Just watch the language and the respect for women, and we're good. Yeah, yeah, Lane's a softie. I '90s rap only when I'm here. <laughs> and but I mean, it's but they're working and they're enjoying the music and they they talk back and forth. Just don't let them talk too much back and forth while they're not moving their mi- knives. Yeah, because then they'll stand there and not do anything and for an hour if they're not doing anything. But you know that's that's one thing people don't realize is um, a butcher shop should be a a good place to work. You're dealing with a not fun situation sometimes here. Yeah, right. It's meat's yeah. yucky, animals yucky. You got to kill an animal. Like it's not what you would call a glamorous lifestyle. So you better have fun while you're at work. Right. Next week we start our two weeks. We start the elk again, and. It's it's hard work for everybody in the shop. Oh boy! And the elk come in dirty. Yep. They come in shot up. But we'll make our yearly payroll in about sixteen weeks. That's what happens. Yep. And it's a uh, it's a whole nother ball game. So that's uh, you do things you need to do to stay in business. That's right. Well, I think we're going to leave it at that today, and we'll see you next time on What's New in Wagyu. See you guys. Hello, darling. Nice to see you. It's been a long time. You're just as lovely as you used to be. How's your new love? Are you happy? Hope you're doing fine Just to know it Means so much to me What's that, darling? How am I doing? I'm doing all right Except I can't sleep I cry all night till dawn So sorry that I did you wrong Look up, darling, let me kiss you 
Just for old time's sake, let me hold you in my arms one more time. Thank you, darling. May God bless you and each step you take bring you closer to the things you seek to find. Goodbye, darling. I gotta go now. Gotta try to find a way to lose these memories of a love so warm and true. Back, darling, I'll be waiting for you.